Welcome to the podcast of the Las Vegas Rotary Club. My name is Jim Cole, and I'm proud to be the 96th president of Las Vegas Rotary. Las Vegas Rotary's main focus is on youth, specifically youth literacy and life skill development. If you're in town, we invite you to join us at the Lowry's Prime Rib at noon on Thursdays. You can also find more information about our meetings on lasvegasrotary.com. If you're unable to join us, we live stream our meetings on Facebook at noon Pacific time Thursdays. We hope you enjoy this podcast. Speaker today is Scott Allen Frost. He's a native Nevadan. I've looked at the uh, roster, and not too many of you are native Nevadans. He was born in Reno. He attended schools in Colorado Springs and also Reno. He graduated from Reno High School and also from the University of Nevada, Reno, with a master, master's, uh, with a bachelor's degree in marketing. Uh, he's an entrepreneur, a restaurant operator, father. He's been the president of the uh, Titan brand, which is based here in Las Vegas. And over the past 10 years, he's directed, designed, developed, and operated restaurants in, and nightlife venues in Nevada, New York, and also Arizona. Uh, the, he has the uh, Husan Cantina and Slice of Vegas Pizza Kitchen here and inside the shops at Mandalay Place, Husan Cantina in Summerlin's Boca Park. Uh, significantly about the uh, the uh, Husongs is that uh, the Las Vegas Review Journal recognized it as best margarita, and I can personally vouch for their quality and potency. In fact, the first one I had, I drank it at noon. It wasn't until noon or 2 o'clock I could walk the way I thought I should be able to. Uh, he's remained active in the community, co-founding and chairing several trade organizations and nonprofits which include the Technology Business Alliance of Nevada, the Nevada Center of Entrepreneurship and Technology, and the Spinal Injury Recovery Foundation. He has served as the president of the Community Lutheran Church, and he's a Paul Harris Fellow. In his spare time, he wrote his autobiography, Living on a Chair, Lessons of Love and Faith After Breaking My Neck, and he is a professional inspirational speaker. After all these accomplishments, these came after being paralyzed from the shoulder down. Today, he's going to share his story and the lessons he's learned. And I'm proud to introduce my son, Scott Frost. Right. Thank you, everybody. Can everyone hear me? It was nine years ago, Mother's Day, 2009. It was a beautiful day. I had just dutifully left my Happy Mother's Day message on my mom's answering machine, although I messed up and wished her a happy birthday instead. <laughs> my kids' mother had come and scooped them up to take them to a movie, and I was working on a proposal. And a good friend of mine, Court Smith, called me and said, Dude, you've been bugging me for years to take you on a motorcycle ride. It's a beautiful day. Do you want to go out? And I said, Yeah, let's do it. Half hour later, I was on a motorcycle. It had been a while, a couple years. I was a little nervous. And we were in Madeira Canyon, southwest of Seven Hills, in one of the big concrete retention basins, and we were racing back and forth. We'd been going about 10 minutes. I started to get tired, and I drove up the side of the rain retention basin, and I went to park at the top. I didn't notice that at the top, the other side rolled off, and dropped off about five feet. 
just as I went to put my front brake on, my front tire rolled off that edge. And all six foot six, 270 pounds of me went flying over the handlebars, straight onto the crown of my head, snapped my head back, and I was instantly paralyzed. The first thing I noticed was that I couldn't breathe. I was gasping for air. My buddy said, dude, you hit your head pretty hard. Are you okay? I said, I've broken my neck. Call 911. We're in the middle of the desert. The first miracle that happened that day is we got a cell signal. And this is 2009. It was before smartphones and GPS. 911, what's your emergency? We have a motorcycle rider with a broken neck. We need life flight. What's your address? <laughs> right at the sagebrush, left, left at the, the rock. We don't, have, we don't have cross streets. But do you have a landmark? We don't have a landmark. Where are you? We're in Madeira Canyon. Where's that? Uh, he struggles for 10 minutes to try to get the 911 operator to figure out where we're at. He says, can you please send life flight? We can't send life flight. We have to confirm the severity of the injury. And we have to send land-based search and rescue before we can send life flight. My heart sank. I knew because of my breath, I didn't have much longer. Just then, Court looked up, and off in the distance, he saw a mountain bike rider. And the mountain bike rider was heading away from us. Now, if you can imagine, if you were trying to save your friend's life, how loud you would yell. He jumped up on the edge of the drop that had just fallen off of, and he's like, hey, hey, screaming. To this day, I can remember how loud he screamed. The mountain bike rider turned his head, rode over towards us, said, what's wrong? Corey explained to him, we've called 911. They're sending a rescue unit, but could you ride out? and try to direct them in. Ten minutes later, a Henderson Police Department suburban pulled up, and I thought, thank God I'm saved. He jumped down in the ditch, and Court said, do you have GPS? Can you talk to the firefighters to get them in? He says, well, I can't talk to the firefighter. He goes, I don't have GPS. And my heart sank. He got on the 911 call that Court was on, started to direct them in, but then I began to do the math in my head. I've been in the ditch for 20 minutes, takes them another 10 minutes to find me, another 15 minutes to scramble life flight. I gotta survive another 25 minutes. My heart sank, because I knew I wasn't gonna make it. And I looked at Court, and I said, Court, get my phone, call my kids. I didn't want my kids to wonder what I was thinking as I took my last breath. I wanted them to know what I was thinking. On the third try, I got a hold of their mother, explained the situation, <coughs> grabbed the kids out of the theater, took them to the parking garage. And he placed my phone down next to my mouth. What do you say to your 14-year-old and your 16-year-old? I said, I love you. I love you. Be good. Remember everything I've taught you. Take care of your mother. I love you. And I heard my son say, don't go, Dad. And my daughter screaming. 
dad, you can't go. Just then the police officer said, keep him talking. It's important to keep him talking. And he was rubbing my back. I couldn't feel it. And they started asking me questions. And I started to drift away. And for the first time it occurred to me that I'm going to die. And I said a prayer. I said, Father, if you're going to take me, take me quick and make it painless. And just then, this feeling of overwhelming calm and peace washed over me. If you could imagine every mortal worry and every physical pain suddenly being lifted from you, it was an amazing feeling. And if I thought, if this is what's waiting for us, I can't wait to get there. It was like being bathed in pure love. And just then the sensation of arms scooping underneath my legs and my shoulders and me being lifted up took over me. And I thought, I wonder what this is going to feel like. Suddenly, I woke up to the rotors of a helicopter and being jostled. Six foot six guy and a six foot two spine board doesn't fit well in life flight, I found out. They're moving bottles of oxygen around, trying to get me to fit in. But I'm elated. I'm alive. I have a chance to see my kids again. I have a chance to watch them grow up. Being a businessman, I started thinking, benchmarking. Who else has lived a life as a quadriplegic and been successful? I thought instantly of Christopher Reeves. And then I remember reading an article about Craig Nielsen the CEO of Ameristar Casinos. Craig was quadded in a car accident and ran his casino empire and took it public from his bed. And I thought to myself, as we all do, I got a network. I got to find out who knows Craig Nielsen. We spent nine days in ICU. At the end of the ninth day, they said, well, you got to go. We've got you patched up. They fused my spine at three and four. And I said, well, what's next? They said, well, you can go to rehab. I said, I don't have a drinking problem. And they said, physical rehab. I was like, oh, okay, physical rehab. Well, where should I go? And they go, I don't know. No plan. So we immediately dispatched a committee, because that's the second thing I did as a businessman. I created a committee. The committee went out, we did some research, we found a place, Desert Canyon, and we went over to begin my rehab at Desert Canyon. And I'm thinking to myself, what are we going to rehab? How to blink better? How to smile? How to shrug my shoulders? How does this work? The intake nurse, Rhonda Olson, asked me this great question. How can we make you more comfortable? After nine days in ICU is a welcome question. And I started to talk to her and said, Rhonda, how long have you been working here? She says, oh, about a year and a half. What did you do before then? Oh, I worked for a gentleman for about 10 years. I was assistant. I said, oh, great. Who was that? Craig Nielsen. <laughs> My first prayer was answered. I said, well, Rhonda, you and I are going to be spending some time together. I've got some questions for you. Three days went by and they got ready to start me on my rehab and I was still wondering, 
how this was going to work. And I was looking at the ceiling and I have a neck brace on. And in order to come into my line of vision, you have to lean over me because I, I can't turn my head. And I looked up at that scene and I said, God, what am I going to do? How, do I, how am I going to do this? Tell me what I need to do this. Just then, five foot three, brown haired, brown eyed, 105 pound, dripping wet, spitfire, named Deborah Howell, comes in, leans over my bed, and she says, 10% of what you're going to get back is going to be nature. 90% is going to be effort and attitude. Is that clear? <laughs> I was like, yes, ma'am. Come to find out, she's a retired Navy captain. <laughs> now, anyone that's done any type of physical rehab knows you have a special relationship with your, with your, rehab, with your uh, physical therapist. It's a love-hate relationship. You love them for the results, and you hate them for the pain they put you through. First thing we had to do was get me to tolerate sitting up so you can begin rehab. You cannot rehab someone that can't tolerate sitting up. Turns out if you have a traumatic brain injury or a spinal injury, we have an evolutionary response, a parasympathetic nervous system response that we can't control, where your body senses you have a spine injury or a head injury. So if you try to sit up, you immediately get nauseated, your blood pressure goes down, and you pass out because it wants you to lay down. So we have to try to train my body to overcome this parasympathetic nervous, uh, nervous response through this wonderful device called the tilt table. I call it the Franken table. They strap you to a table and they tilt you up degrees at a time and they will keep you going until you pass out. A lot of fun. I had a really, really tough time with this. And the, the idea is to get you to 75 degrees for 15 minutes and try to tolerate that. They had to put pressure hose on my legs, they had to strap my arms in because my arms were so heavy they would pull out of their sockets. We struggled for three weeks with the tilt table. Just then we were informed that my insurance covered 20 days of inpatient rehab. And we were on our 18th day and things had just started to move. My left thumb was moving, my right toe was moving. My mother had come to my bed and she grabbed my hand and I was able to squeeze it with my left thumb. And I looked at her and I said, everything's gonna be okay. And she does what she does best. She started thinking of things we needed to worry about. <laughs> How are we gonna do this? How are we gonna get the insurance to cover us? So we gotta pray on it. And then I started making phone calls. Just then, a fraternity brother of mine, Scott, comes in. He's like, gosh, Scott, what happened? I tell him the story about having to say goodbye to my kids, and his eyes well up. He has twins. He says, I couldn't imagine saying goodbye to my kids. He said, what can I do? Now, when people visit you in the hospital, they're very polite. They always say, what can I do? I had lots of people visiting me in the hospital. So we got very specific, and we had this wonderful list. At the top of that list, and I said it half-jokingly, well, if you know the president of my insurance company, you can tell him to let me stay here a little while longer. He says, who's your insurance company? I said, United Health. 
He says, oh, okay. Didn't see Scott again. He left, patted me on the shoulder and wished me luck. On the 19th day, Dr. Berman, the medical director, comes in. He goes, I don't know who you know, but you know the right people. I just got a call from the president of United Health, and he said to keep you here as long as you need to be here until you get better. That is called faith. Turns out, Scott made one phone call to Peter Neal, the president of United Healthcare. He sat on a nonprofit board with him. He doesn't take any credit other than the fact that he said, Can you help my buddy? We got an extra 51 days. In that 51 days, that thumb became a hand. My arm started to move, which meant I could work on feeding myself, stab myself in the eye a few times. I learned to stand with help. I could wait bear. We began to take my first steps. And I blurted out an audacious goal. I said, I'm going to walk into my first restaurant. Before I entered the hospital, we had just started negotiating the lease for what would be our first restaurant at Mandalay Place. I said, it's time to get back to work. And while we were rehabbing six days a week, we hooked up Wi-Fi, a fax machine, and I had a Blackberry in my neck brace. We finished negotiating the lease, financed the restaurant, designed the restaurant while I was in the hospital. On January 21st, 2010, less than eight months after my accident, I held my girlfriend's hand, I stood up, and I walked to the corner of the bar and I ordered the first margarita at Husson's Cantina. Obviously, there's a lot more to that story in the 81 days that I sat in that hospital. And people ask me, what did you learn? And I learned a lot. But there are five lessons that I'd like to leave with you. The first one is nobody likes to take care of a jerk. I was 100% reliant on everyone around me to do everything for me. I'm six foot six, 270 pounds, former football player, basketball player. I used to love putting you in a noogie, or putting you in a headlock, giving you a noogie. I was a you know, fun-loving guy, and all of a sudden, everything that I needed done, I had to ask. You better learn your please and thank yous, and you better be nice. But interesting, when I started running the company after I got out of the hospital, I learned that nobody likes to work for a jerk either. And the same lessons apply in business. Often we're told to be rewarded for being cunning and ruthless and tough. The exact opposite is true. If you're empathetic, recognize that your team has lives outside of work. They'll fall on swords for you. They'll be loyal. And if you're nice, they'll follow you anywhere. Lesson number two, be the hope. People came in to visit me and if they didn't see me smiling, if they didn't see me upbeat, do you think they'd come and visit me again? Nobody likes to follow somebody or visit somebody that's feeling sorry for themselves. And I learned really quickly. I had to assure everybody I was the same guy from the shoulders up. In business, the same thing is true. 
This room is filled with leaders. Your staff, your employees, your team look to you for emotional cues. If you come in in a bad mood, if you come in with a frown on your face, if you come in crying about who did what to you or what the competition's doing to you, your staff will take cues from that. Just like the people in the hospital took an emotional cue from me. They wanted to see me upbeat. I had to show them that I was still full of hope. So the same thing is true in business. Your team needs to see that you're full of hope. Lesson number three. Things don't happen to you. And you're saying, Scott, how can that be? Things happen to me all the time. Everybody's struggles are relative. You could have a serious illness. You could have had a bad cup of coffee. Either way, we emotionally react to that. And we say, why is this happening to me? Why am I having such a bad day? I can tell you, after nine years, this didn't happen to me. This happened for me. Adversity holds lessons. And you just need to have faith that that lesson will be revealed. And along that journey, as you fight through whatever adversity you're fighting through, you have to know and have faith that there is a lesson in it. And you can learn from that lesson. I'm challenged. People ask, Scott, if you had it to do all over again, would you get on that motorcycle? And I can tell you, if you said, you're going to get on that motorcycle, you're going to break your neck, and you're going to end up right where you're at, and you're going to end up speaking to Rotary. I'd take the life I have now, the lessons I've learned, getting able to watch my kids grow up. I just walked my daughter down the aisle last Saturday. Versus not getting on that motorcycle and not knowing the life that I would have now, I'd get back on that motorcycle because this happened for me, not to me. Fourth lesson. Don't listen to they. I'm still asked, well, what do they say? Who's they? I have two they's. The surgeon that did my surgery that I saw the day before my surgery and six weeks after, and the therapist that helped me in the, in the hospital. If I would have listened to they, I wouldn't be doing what I was doing today. Deborah let me know that their goal when they looked at my chart was to try to get my right hand moving because it's the difference of being able to possibly feed yourself and steer your own power wheelchair versus having to do it through a suck and puff and not being able to feed yourself, not being able to write, not being able to operate a phone, not being able to tap on a keyboard. So they just wanted to get my right hand moving. And they never thought that I'd be able to do what I could do now. My doctor used to be very, very upfront with patients that had spinal cord injuries and tell them whether they would walk or not. I said, don't ever, ever, ever tell somebody they're going to walk or not walk, because you don't know. And I proved him wrong, and to this day he says, I'll never tell another patient they won't walk again because of what you did. In business, how many days are out there? A lot of days. Economists telling us this, competition telling us that, staff telling us can't do this. Ultimately, it's up to you. You don't listen today. 
You alone determine your outcome. Which leads me to the last lesson and one of the most important ones. And you heard it before. Two things you have 100% control over in this life. Your effort and your attitude. Nobody dictates your effort and your attitude. You don't wake up and they say, hey, Jim, by the way, you're going to give about 50% effort and you're going to have a crappy attitude today. (laughs) The only person that decides that is you. Think about it. Two things you can control in any given circumstance are your effort and your attitude. I have taken that lesson and these five lessons and it is tested every day. I'm in the restaurant business. It's the only business where you get to wake up and everyone's graded you on Yelp and Facebook and Google. I'm the administrator on all of our social media accounts. I get a nice little readout of how everybody enjoyed my food or worst food ever. If I let that get me down, I'd walk in Send a bunch of negative emotional cues. The staff had had a bad day. I have a choice. I can take those reviews. I can take what people are saying. I grouse to myself a little bit. I'm human. I have an ego. But when my assistant swings my legs over in the morning, pulls me up, puts that walker in front of me, it's another day. And I get to have a good effort and a great attitude and go out there and make a difference. Thank you very much. I appreciate you letting me make a difference. Questions? Thank you for the story, very emotional. Some of us have been through similar journeys and I thank you for bringing me, me, me back into my awareness. You have alluded to several occasions where you put your trust in the Lord. How important is your faith to you? Um, not to be coy, but you'll have to read the book. Um, the, 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 the subtitle is Lessons of Love and Faith. I would not have been able to persevere through this and still without my faith. It was an absolute cornerstone. I was raised in the church. I had drifted. I was a, you know, once a month guy. You go to church on Sunday, forget the sermon by Tuesday, and you're out partying on Friday, right? This really helped me reconcile my faith with my business and gave me the courage to share my faith because that was something I had never done before. And it was one of the reasons that I was spared and one of the reasons I was given this recovery was so I had a story to tell and to help people discover their faith and reaffirm their faith if they had it. Amen. I don't know. you got to tell them about the guys speaking to Oh. So I was visited... When I was struggling with the the tilt table, uh, 
a friend of mine, and I use the term friend loosely because the last time we were together, there were expletives exchanged over a business deal gone wrong, and I wondered what the heck he was doing in, in my room, and he said, Scott, can I pray on you? I said, pray on me. I had a lot of people pray with me, or pray next to me, or pray for me, but not pray on me. Paul proceeded to move his hands up and down my body, and he started speaking in another language, and my dad was there, my son, and my ex-wife, and he would shout out, Randy, say a prayer for your son, and he would start talking in that strange language, and dad said, uh, please heal my son, Scott, and Christian, that's my son, say a prayer for your, for your dad, uh, dude, uh, help, help my, help my dad get better, you know, <laughs> and this went on for 20 minutes, and I'm looking at my dad, I'm like, just go with it, go with it, and then all of a sudden, I started to feel this warm sensation over my body, and this purple light swirling behind my eyes, and he said, show us an irrefutable sign you are going to heal your son. Show us an irrefutable sign that you're going to heal your son. And just then, my legs lifted off the foot of the bed about four inches and then laid back down. And I couldn't move a muscle. And my father, who's a conservative military guy, you got to prove it to him, almost stumbled back. And he said later, he said, Scott, I felt like saying hallelujah. And I said, that would have been a good time to do it. <laughs> At 88 years old, I seem to be complacent in the fact that I've been there, done that. And just want to thank you for teaching me that even after 88, you can still be inspired by many exciting things in life. Thank oh, you. Thank you. God bless you. 88. Right on. Anyone else? So, um, great question. Turns out through uh, my wonderful networking, a gentleman by the name of Chris Casenza uh, worked with Craig, and uh, uh, Rhonda told me how, how he was able to do everything, kind of what his systems were, and Chris was able to tell me how he conducted meetings. Rhonda said two things about Craig. He said he was the most driven man I've ever met, one of the most brilliant minds in business I've ever seen, but he gave up on himself. And he did everything from his bed, rarely got out of the house, and didn't live much. So it was an interesting dichotomy. I said, well, I don't want to do, have everything be about business and not try. So I poured everything I could on the physical side and did everything I could on the business side. But there is a balance, people. There is a life to be lived. I got a second chance. I got to attend my own funeral. I got to have hundreds of people tell me what I meant to them. And it was a wonderful, wonderful gift. And I put the phone down with my kids and started listening. The biggest gift you can give somebody is your attention. Be present. Ever heard that, be present? You know what that means? We're so poor at it these days. We have so many distractions, and that 
God bless that smartphone. I think it makes it dumber. You know, we've got to pull our heads up and start connecting again on a social basis and listen to one another. That's all we got to do is just listen, be there, be present, be helpful, be courteous, be kind, be, have humility, have integrity, be human again. But that's what I try to do is just really try to be present. This is my ultimate compliment. You remind me of another person, Johnny Erickson Tata. I don't know Johnny. Sounds oh. like a great guy. I don't. I'm yeah. sorry. She's, yeah. she's oh. paralyzed. Oh, I'd love to meet her. She's great. So I don't, shameless plug, if you want to know the whole story, it, I would encourage you to read the book because it, the, the, enti- the story in its entirety, one, I would not be here without these two wonderful people. Those are my parents, Randy and Gail. I don't know where I'd be without them. And they still help me to this day, and this is why I do what I do. God bless them. How do you use it? Go to com. It's L-I-V-I-N, onachair.com, or Amazon. And my name's Scott Allen Frost, and the only reason I use my middle... My middle name is not because I'm in trouble with my parents, uh, but because there's a, there's a Nebraska coach who's not doing very well. His name's Scott Frost, and then there's also, there's also a, a, a mystery writer who uh, goes by the name of Scott Frost. So if you looked up on, on Amazon, you wouldn't find me. You'd find him. So if you go to Amazon, Scott Allen Frost, it'll pop right up, and you can get the book. We, we also have a lucky uh, person here today who was going to walk out of here with the book, and uh, that is ticket number 206-4528. Steve, come, come back up, please. I think we had a, yet another question over there, too. I don't know. All right. Man, this guy's, Congratulations. A, big, this guy's a big winner. Scott, on behalf of the Las Vegas Rotary Club, thank you very much for coming and talking and sharing. Um, I would like to present you our Share What You Can Award, and we are going to give a meal to a needy veteran in your name. So thank you very, very much for coming. Thank you very much, everybody. Thank you. So as we leave here today, um, let us go forth into the world in peace. Be of good courage. Hold fast to that which is good, render to no one evil for evil, strengthen the faint-hearted, support the weak, help the afflicted, honor all persons, love and serve each other, rejoicing in the fellowship of Rotary. Be people of inspiration, be people of action. Meeting adjourned. We hope you enjoyed this podcast of our latest meeting. If you'd like to know more about our projects or are interested in membership in the club, please visit us at lasvegasrotary.com. Now go forth and be the inspiration.